Hello and welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experiences of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, or on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global consulting and research firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Diana Franganillo, and I will be the podcast host today since Chris and Lisa are enjoying some time off. A few weeks ago, and for the first time in UX Soup, Dr. Rob Gray chatted to Chris here about human performance in sports and, in particular, about human performance data and how to issue recommendations to athletes and coaches. They discuss about skill acquisition and some aspects of training. In today's episode, we will talk about visualization and mental rehearsal as training techniques, which are widely used in the sports field, not only to reduce anxiety of the athletes, build their confidence and improve concentration, but also to overcome potential problems and improve their results. And to explore this topic, I have here with me, Dr. Anna Isaac. Hello, Anne, and welcome to UXOOP. Hello, Diana. Thank you for letting me talk to you today. Anne hails from a background in neuropsychology and sport and work alongside the All Blacks and New Zealand Olympics teams. She specializes on individual and teamwork performance in high pressure environments, which led her to apply her knowledge in a traffic control and the cockpit domains, first in New Zealand and then in Europe, when she was headhunted to work for Eurocontrol and then in NATS, National Air Traffic Services in the UK. Anne, I know that your PhD focused precisely on how mental rehearsal can be used as an efficient training method to extend training hours without exhausting the body when there is an injury or similar. Why did you want to study this topic, Anne? It came really as an idea because when I was in New Zealand, I was not only um, playing high level sport myself, but coaching and started to work in sports psychology with some of the national teams. And my other half of my life was actually in the university working with children who found movement difficult, but they found it difficult to hop, skip, jump and play ball sports. So I'd always wondered what it was that defined these children and and children who had exceptional abilities. So I started to ask the question, what was it in their thinking process that allowed people to excel at sport? And that led me to realise that not only did we not do very much in the area of sports psychology, in fact, almost nothing in the area of sports psychology, when I first got involved in the Olympic teams, and you could have a look at the percentage of time they worked on their nutrition, their coaching, their strength, their team working skills, and how much time they spent looking at their psychological skills. And there was almost nothing. So that, that led me to believe that there was something else that was more important or as important as the physical side of the sport. And that led me to look at, so what was it that these athletes had that made them exceptional? So you wanted to understand why these athletes were being so exceptional. So what was the research question that you put on the table to develop your PhD around? The question was, it came really from the area of the sport that I was most linked with and coached to the highest level. 
And that was, what was it that athletes used to rehearse their movements? Because the sport I was involved, very heavily involved with, was trampolining. And it was an interesting question. What was it? How did they lay down their skill routines to allow them to reproduce this in competitive situations? Which led me to say, what was it in the brain that was being tapped in the spatial area? And I then worked with people in the medical area and wanted to find out if I could scan the brain to have a look at what was going on. My research question was, what was it that the brain, unique areas of the brain were used when rehearsal of, of some of these skills was were taking place? So that was my research question. Could you, in fact, have a look at the neurological correlates of skill production? So I then got involved with a research team in Western Australia um, in Perth. And the lead person in that group was doing his PhD on a new method of brain scanning, looking at developing a, a non-invasive technique for brain scanning and using very high quality electrodes. So it was able to triangulate every position on the skull and therefore start to look at the energy, if you like, the hertz or how brains are scanned. I was very much interested in alpha waves because alpha waves are those waves that are absent when you or are suppressed when you visualize, when you use the vis visualization skills. So you were scanning people with uh, whilst they were doing mental rehearsing at some, uh, at some point, but did you have the same people as a control group whilst they were doing actual rehearsal, like physical rehearsing as well? Yeah, very good question. So all the people I used were normals. But firstly, all I wanted to see was what happened when we asked them to visualize pure visualization and see how the mapping of the brain you know came where the activities were the second one which links with your question was in order to correlate whether they could visualize a physical activity and actually do the physical activity i had them doing very simple squeezing of hands opening of hands to see in the brain where the physical patterns were and then related that to the same patterns but in the purely visualization sense. How difficult was the work to undertake? Uh, pretty difficult. It took me two summers of uh, collection of data. First of all to get the trust of the team over there who were purely developing work for medical purposes. So I had to first of all get the trust and understanding And then I had to learn to use the equipment myself. And I mean, I'm not a medical clinician, so I had to spend a lot of time setting up heads and watching how information was taken off patients. And then I was allowed, when I proved that I could do this without too much problem, I was allowed to do it with normal people. And then, then the hard work started, really, because we had, or I had screeds and screeds and screeds of imagery of uh, brains taken every two or three seconds and I had to then analyze it the digitized information and then analyzes where the information I was interested in which was obviously 
high workload or thinking load, if you like, was being recorded, which area of the brains it was recorded. Tell us, what did you find out? I found out that there are three areas of the brain responsible for imaging in a, in a person who is declared as a good imager. Now, there are people who can't image and there are people who are very, very good at imagery. And so you can actually question them and record their level of ability and then correlate it with their, the brain scan, which is what I did. So that there were three main areas of the brain that were responsible for creation, uh, using and then predicting imagery, which guess what actually aligns perfectly with Ensley's work. But this was before Ensley ever did her work. So it was quite interesting to then, you know, read her work after I'd published mine. The visualisation is more the, the back of the brain, which is where the visual cortex is anyway. And then it's brought forward to the temporal area where it has the ability to in, integrate what it's wanting to know. So it's taking that question of it has imaged, it understands what it's looking at, and then it's got to integrate it into the question, which for athletes is what's next. And often for pilots and controllers, it's definitely what's next. A prediction into the future. How is the situation going to evolve? I was going to ask you as well, because you said that some people is good at visualizing and some people are, aren't so good. Is that um, a skill that can be trained? So can you get better at visualization? I think you can. I think you can. I still believe people are naturally have the natural ability to do it. And that's often found correlated with sport and certain types of sport and indeed in pilots and controllers, because I then went on in my PhD to look at the evidence of visualization in those in those particular groups of people. There are certainly people who are not able to do it at all. And I don't think you probably can help them much. But I think people in the middle who have some idea about visualization, but perhaps can't use that third level which is to take it into predicting that may be more tricky so what was the finding that you found more interesting of everything i think the most interesting finding probably from the brain scanning work was the fact that you could mimic the visual mental rehearsal and fire the same brain mechanisms as when you are physically doing it i think that was a very strong finding and a strong correlation which a lot of people had said that, you know, my supervisor, particularly in this work, had written a lot about imagery and visualisation, but had never really taken it into the neurological correlate. It's, it's a quite interesting finding, mm. understanding that you can rehearse something mentally and get mm. better at it physically, I think is, is quite impressive. So one of the things that yes. might be interesting here is... But my supervisor, one, all his work was done on eye movement. So he did a lot of work on eye movement and seeing how people take information. And he showed that people who were good at visualization had a very specific eye movement pattern when taking in information. Not a lot of saccades, a lot of dwelling on certain areas. And I think it's just struck me. But this is quite an interesting finding for the sort of work that, that is now being developed in air traffic research and, and pilot research. 
you got those interesting findings, how did you apply them in your professional career and to help others? Sadly, not very much in the pilot controller area. I did have the opportunity to do a little bit of this work, but it was mostly in the um, athlete development work and very much to do with helping those people, particularly in area sports where I did a lot of work, visualize as part of their training regime. So they, you know, when they weren't actually physically doing the work, they could practice this work and it would really enhance their physical, the outcome of their performance. Even to the point where I often trained people who were having difficulty with particularly twisting moves. And recently, if anybody watched the um, Tokyo Olympics, will have seen a couple of athletes who had to drop out of their gymnastic area because of, they call it the twisties, which is a phenomenon which I'd come across in trampolining where an athlete can be an exceptionally good athlete in all their skill sets. But suddenly one day they go up to go into a move and just lose their orientation completely which is very scary and it's very dangerous. So one of the things I found that if the athletes I worked with couldn't visualize a really clear skill set when they were doing their visualization practice, they had difficulty doing that very same skill set in the physical rehearsal or physical training. Yeah, so that became quite an interesting piece of work, particularly with some of the Olympic athletes who were having difficulties with their performances. Simone Biles, who I, is, is, you know, one of my heroes, really. I remember that she, one day she said, I cannot compete today and it would be dangerous. And she finally came back into the, to her last, the very last set of rotations in the gym on the beam. But she created a beam routine. I mean, obviously she has many, many in her back pocket, but she created one that didn't have... A significant amount of twisting rotation only and she only twisted at the end of her routine when she came off with a half twist and you have applied this output and this knowledge in the sports arena and also in aviation in net traffic control and cockpit is there any areas within sports aviation or any other field in which you would like to see more usage of visualization and, re and mental rehearsing techniques Yes, I think so. Having worked a long time in air traffic control, I think, you know, we're missing something there in terms of um, ab initio air traffic controllers and also when they are experienced, that they don't spend as much time, I don't believe, in preparing themselves for the day's work, particularly if they know there's something unusual going to happen. I mean, I think if it's a, a normal day and a normal weather conditions and you don't expect anything out of the unusual to happen, then there's probably not so much um, effect to, to use mental imagery. But I think, you know, when you know there's going to be some disruptions or from weather or unusual activity uh, for an air traffic controller, which can vary from many things, then I think we don't use that skill or teach that skill at all. And it's very interesting because when you do talk to the controllers about it, they're not aware of what you mean by mental rehearsal. And then when you explain it in more detail, they say, oh, I do that every day. And I say, yes, of course. <laughs> and so I think if we could formalize that and make it part of their training and talking to pilots even now, they get it. When you talk about 
preparing for a flight when you talk about formation flying for instance and i've only worked in australia with the melbourne formation flying the roulettes in australia that's what they're called they were very interesting when you talk to them about how they did their team preparation and how they came out of their preparation and debriefed and the emphasis that they didn't realize they were using because they were using words and describing things but in fact when you watch them their whole body was being engaged in the discussion because they were talking about turns and accelerations and moving in and out of formation and they did this by their whole bodies were moving around and in fact when you talk to very experienced pilots test pilots they will immediately understand what you mean about preparation for flight and going through the procedures, particularly if they think there's going to be an unusual flight. When I was in the University in New Zealand in a flight training school, one of the interesting things was I was always given, um, I wasn't a flight instructor, I was a ground instructor doing human factors and human performance, but I try and linked my work theoretically with the flight side of the world so that they could learn the theory with me and then have it in the cockpit when they were training. And one of the things I used to have was to unpick the problems of student pilots who got lost or demonstrated they could get lost because most of them wouldn't be allowed to go on their own if there was any danger of that. So I used to work with the flight instructors and the students about how to translate their map work into their flying work. And an example would be all trainee pilots will plot their mapping on a map, you know, on their flight. They'll plot their flight on a map with a pen and a pencil and a ruler, and they will work out their significant points where they have to, you know, fly to or turn at. And it was very interesting because there were some students who couldn't do that flight planning on their map and then translate it into the flight that they were doing. But I had a lot of did a lot of work with those students to try and help them visualize the physical geographic structures into what they would be looking for when they were in the air. The other area I think which is could have some great use in visual visualization and, and mental rehearsal is in surgery in the medical area. Surgeons are supported greatly now, particularly in very difficult surgery with head mounted cameras to help them move around the physical space of the body. Um, but I think it would be very useful to see if using visualization and mental rehearsal before a difficult operation would help them. It sounds like this has been utilized, but also that there is a lot of potential to be explored. So we hope to inspire other people listening to the podcast. And it was an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much for letting me talk to you. I'm afraid that this is all the time we had. So if you would like to chat more about human performance and user experiences or to send us any questions you might have, you can email us at uxsoup, all one word, at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, has links to our recent research. There, you can also connect with each of us on LinkedIn, including Anne. A reminder that UXSoup is sponsored, as always, by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.